It is a blessing to be here this morning. And you know, really, when, when you're asked to preach what I call a Sunday that has a special theme to it, and obviously today is Father's Day, that uh, sometimes those messages can be the hardest ones to come up with. You know, we're, we're coming in and maybe we think, well, I wonder if he's going to preach from, you know, Abraham and Isaac. And, and we can go on and on, the, 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 some of the great father-son interactions. And, and I really never felt called that direction. Likewise, I was struggling. I had, a, I had an idea, and it really took Travis uh, sharing something a few weeks ago that kind of just submitted it and said, yeah, yeah, I can see how God is, has orchestrated that to, to give me confidence today. And, and really, if I may, let me just share what he had shared. He had, they had had a meeting with the team leaders and uh, trying to be as positive as I can. Uh, but Travis had confessed to the leaders and really ap apologizing to them. He knew he had been on autopilot. You know, it was a confession of sorts. And I know some of you love cruise control. I'm not one of those guys. I've never liked even that taking control from me in my driving. But you know, while we might like cruise control, it's not where we want to be when we're in the ministry. And in his defense, I know, you know, through upwards basketball and then in our post-upwards craziness, and it feels like we've been so busy that I'm just as guilty as he was. You know, we, we push that button, we click in, we're just... Sometimes we're going through the motions, and, and again, that's not where we want to be, but it, it confirmed in my heart what I wanted to say today, and, and really the, my, my theme with fatherhood is that it requires leadership, not leadership that's on cruise control, if you will. So I want to set a framework so you can understand where I'm coming from, and there's a family, I will say this, it is a very real family, I have not made this family up. I have not changed the names to protect the innocent. Hopefully I will not say any names to convict the guilty. But, um, you know, really, Jackie and I have known this couple for a long time. They've been some of our best friends. And really, this family, or more accurately, this dad, thought he had everything under control. Everything was planned, everything was thought out. You know, but I think as I go through this, that many of us will be able to identify with some of these own similarities at different times and different stages in our lives. This couple had known each other a long time. They didn't rush in to get married like in that like, you know, whirlwind two-month courtship and boom. I mean, they, they had talked about marriage a long time. They had talked about raising children for a long time. And, you know, quite frankly, they had desired uh, to have a child even before the firstborn came along. I mean, everything was thought out. God was surely blessing them. They were college graduates. They had managed to buy a townhouse by the time they were 23. First child came along before the age of 25. God was so great. There's no question, surely he is with us. But for one problem, there was no time to worship God. No time was being spent to praise God or any special thankfulness for this continued blessing. You know, church wasn't needed. God is blessing, isn't he? Second child came along, and being a parent was everything that dad had dreamed of. And I know a lot of us would say the same thing, that 
It's an answer to prayer. You know, dad, the father had a great job, a good company. Really, it was a, it was a company where careers were made. Men would work 30 to 40 years and retire. Many of them, it was the only job they ever had, right out of school. The mother was working in her career of her dreams. What more could they ask for? It reminded, you know, reminds us of the old song from the TV show, The Jeffersons, right? We were moving on up. We're all moving on up, right? To what? To the good times. And they were moving on up. Couldn't be any better. They bought a piece of land at age 27. Managed to build and move into what was the dream house at the time by the time of age 29. Still, God was given no honor or glory. They moved again 10 years later and uh, into a much bigger house even, and without any reverence to the Almighty, the one who obviously was blessing. I mean, look, look at all we've got. Have you been there? Have you caught yourself looking how much God is, surely he is blessing us. If he wasn't blessing, why would I have all of this? Or if I wasn't blessing, he would be taking things away from me. But I imagine that God must have felt similar to Jesus' words in Luke 17. And, uh, you know, it's a story we know very well. Jesus had just cleansed and healed ten lepers in Samaria, but only one returned to glorify God, right? And Jesus said in verse 17, he said, Were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Verse 18 says, There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. And I wonder, does God feel that way about our worship or my praise or my prayer time? Are we a stranger to God in the midst of all we have to be thankful for? I think we get the idea of what I'm, hopefully I'm trying to say as I, as I recall and recount some of this young family. You know, regardless of where you're at, man, and we saw, I, I thought we might have one great-grandfather, and I, and I told Travis, there's probably others that I'm just not aware of, and I think we had four total, which is just awesome. Awesome. But regardless of where you're at, great-grandfather, grandfather, father, future fathers, your children are watching you. Your wife or future wife is watching you. And what, what do they see? What do they see? What do we think we see when we look at ourselves in the mirror? Sometimes that mirror can be deceiving. It's not like mirror, mirror on the wall. And by the way, Travis, who's, who stood up for the best looking father? I missed that. <laughs> uh, he already beat me to my punchline. I was going to say he was standing, but he got disqualified. Doggy daddies don't count. You know, man, it's often said, more is caught by what we do or say than what is taught. But God's plan for man is to be the spiritual leader of your household or family unit, whatever, however that dynamic is. We have a responsibility, I feel, to establish a legacy that can be passed from one generation to the next. Fathers, we know from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, that we're not to drive our children to be angry or hateful individuals through our parenting. The Bible says in 6.4, it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Can I say that they're not going to love the Lord? 
unless they see you loving God, unless they see you demonstrating and living it in your daily life. Children can see right through us if we're a fake, when we're phony, if we're not who we say we are. You know, they may not know that word, hypocrite, but they can spot one. And a lot of times they can spot it even before an adult will. Fatherhood is more than just producing offspring. And before I go any further, hit the pause button. I'm fully mindful that many of us, even right here today, many adults, would love to bring a child into the world and are unable to. You know, whether it's been to, to a medical condition or as the Bible speaks of, that many are barren within God's providential choosing. But outside of reasons that only God knows, generally any man can produce children. But real God-fearing fathers will leave more than just a name, and they will leave a legacy to be desired. It was Jonathan Falwell's book, and I, and I thank Travis for bringing that to me and sharing it with me. In his book, One Great Truth, he writes of the daunting responsibility of following in the footsteps of his father, the late Dr. Jerry Falwell. It was daunting, but not overwhelming. It was filled with great responsibility, but not crushing. He was carrying the weight of the name and reputation, but he was carrying it with pride. And Jonathan wrote of the difficult task. You see, it was his job to preach the very following Sunday after his father had passed away. And he wrote of that, the sermon to be preached a mere five days after that death and searching for what would be the right words of comfort, not just for his own family and himself, but for the congregation. And it was a friend of the family who had reminded the Falwell family of a sermon preached by Dr. Falwell himself at a, fun or, uh, at a funeral of their dear family friend. And their friend reminded Jonathan of the words preached from Joshua 1. Would you turn with me? Let's share in Joshua 1. And we begin in verse 1. And it says, Now after the death of, the Mo of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. And the amazing thing here is, is the ideal is, you know, even after the death of this great leader, Moses, it was time for Joshua now to leave. God still had a plan then. God still has a plan today, amen? He has a plan for every one of us. It doesn't matter if we're a great-grandfather. Praise the Lord, amen? And we think, well, my job is done, but no. I guarantee your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, if God permits them to be old enough, they're watching us. We can still impact their lives. It gave Jonathan Falwell the belief that God could use him to follow in the footsteps of his father, the great Jerry Falwell, Dr. Jerry Falwell, as pastor. It's interesting to note, also from the same book, One Great Truth, that it was Chuck Colson who was asked to write the foreword of the book, founder of Prison Fellowship. And I quote, he writes, I often have a recurring dream. I'm running in a race as hard as I know how to run. My legs pumping as fast as I can pump them. Blood surging through my veins. 
and my heart hammering at my chest wall. I'm almost out of breath, but I can see ahead of me the next runner waiting to take the baton from my hand. The dream is always the same. I end up gasping as I cross the line and pass the baton onto the next runner. Gentlemen, I ask you, have you ran the race in such a manner that your next generation will be there waiting at the finish line? Is it a race that someone will desire to even receive the baton from us? You know, quite frankly, even in my own life, there was things, it was easy to see things from my own father that I desperately wanted to do differently. That it was a race I didn't want to go down that path. Some I failed at and some I succeeded at. And only God will truly know and answer or give, give me the answer to that success. But biblical fatherhood, to be the man that God desires you and I to be, is a call to leadership. Leadership, as Moses was to Joshua, and Joshua to Israel, is the ultimate goal. I should have had you open or turn there. Flip over just a page or two, Joshua chapter 3. Really, the, the whole uh, kind of scriptural context is Joshua 3 more than any others. Beginning in verse 1, the Bible says, And Joshua rose early in the morning, and they removed from Shittim and came to Jordan, he and all the children of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. And in verse 2 would tell us they lodged for three days. But skip down to verse 5. And Joshua said unto the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua spake unto the priests, saying, Take up the Ark of the Covenant, and pass over before the people. And they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and went before the people. And verse 7 says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day will I begin to magnify thee in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. Men, I can tell you, just as God magnified Joshua's leadership, it is his desire to magnify every one of you before your children and your family. Allow God to do that instead of, if I may, instead of us trying to magnify ourselves. We can really get in trouble when we do that, can't we? Anyone else been there and done that besides me? You know, you want them to love you. You want them to see all the good things. You don't want them to see all the bad things. Do what I say, don't do what I do. And on and on and on the list goes. But God wants to magnify us. And if you're thinking you don't know what it's like in my house, at your house, you're right, I don't. But there is one that does. God knows every detail of every event that takes place. And the same God who makes us a new creature in Jesus Christ can change everything. You know, even the hardest of hearts or the most difficult of situations or can, can provide the healing, whether it's a physical or spiritual or emotional or mental, if we would just allow him to work. First, we need to understand that the role of the Father is a calling to leadership. You've heard me say that over and over. This is my, my theme. I, I could never really think of a catchy title, so there is not one. But it's leadership is not a position, or is a position, rather. It's more than just a title. 
I said that's still backwards. Leadership is not position. Amen? Your influence will beat position. Influence always beats position. God will be in your corner. If your influence is Christ-centered, God's going to be there. God's going to be coaching us. He's going to be admonishing us, encouraging us. And in those darkest of days, has anyone else been carried by God? I know he's carried me. Absolutely. Sometimes I feel I'm able to, to even get to where maybe I think I'm running on my own. But the reality is it's God right there behind me telling me I can do this. Our minds need to be as the Apostle Paul's was in Galatians 2.20 when he declared, it's not I, but Christ. Christ needs to be at the forefront. Can we honestly say it's not I, but Christ in how we raise and influence our children? You know, everything is spoken, every action taken should honor God and not ourselves. If we remember King Saul and David, Israel's first king, as, they, as the nation, as the people clamored that they, they had to have a king. You know, as they looked around the neighbors, and God had been what? Ruling Israel by judges. And they were, you know, these judges were God appointed. There was, there was not, there was really not problems during those days by and large. The judges people came to for their wisdom, their counsel, their leadership, their direction. But they clamored and wanted a king. And so he gave them one. And Saul even what? He fit the image. Remember, it, it, it sounded like he was bigger than most. He, he looked like royalty. Saul had the position all day long, didn't he? But beginning with the killing of Goliath, that young shepherd boy, David, saw his influence to begin. And you know, with every event in David's life, David praised and glorified God. Even in, at the times when he was hiding from Saul and hiding in the cave, he still gave God the glory. His influence grew stronger and stronger. Secondly, we need to know that leadership is not management. Things are to be managed. People are to be led. Children are to be led. Families are to be led. If we want them to follow us, be a leader. Do we rule our homes? as if we are kings on that throne. I've known men that have done that. I think perhaps it was more in common in uh, maybe a few of the older generations, but certainly I think a lot of us, we become our parents. Is anyone else having that problem? <laughs> I'm sorry I glanced at Kayla looking at mom. Uh, <laughs> we become our parents. Despite our best effort, we say, I will never do that. But boy, we wake up one day, and if we're honest, it's like, how did that happen? How I'm seeing my mother more and more in myself. I'm seeing my father more and more in myself. The things I, I said I would never do. Or do we step back and even rule from that throne? Do we bark out orders? I've done that. Expecting our children. My spouse doesn't jump, but do we expect our spouses to jump when we give them orders? You know, I have a question. Is anyone here today enjoying being ordered around? That's what I thought. I'm pretty sure none of us who are married today got married hoping we had married a dictator either. You know, kids, 
Young adults, I want to stop right here for a second because I want you to hear this. You know, when I'm talking about dad, baby's a dictator, but I'm not saying that you're to disobey when told to do. In fact, the Bible's very clear. Look in Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3 real quick. It says, Children, obey your parents in the, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee. But what I am saying to us today is that if that man or woman, that dad or mom, if they are to direct and instruct as God directs us, and how's that? It's with unconditional love and, yes, even respect. Parents, remember, we're commanded not to provoke our children under wrath. Psalm 127, verse 3 says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know, being a parent is God's gift to us. I, did, I could truly thank God with every one of my children as they were born. I remember when, when our firstborn, Jason, was born and, and just sitting in amazement. And I believe it was the doctor, our Jackie's OBGYN, who looked over and, you know, Larry, what do you think? And I couldn't speak because I was overfilled with emotion. My eyes watered up. And I was like, boy, did this come from? <laughs> oh, I knew where the baby came from. <laughs> I'm talking about the emotion. Because this is what I had always wanted to be. I used to joke in those days, before I learned better, we were going to have 11 kids. I was going to have my own football team. Just problem solved, have your own football team. Verse 1 in the same chapter of Psalm 127 says this. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Has anybody else spent days laboring in vain? I have, absolutely. Guilty as charged. You know, being a father or a dad has been one of my greatest joys. I've already mentioned. I really couldn't wait to be a dad. It was something that I always wanted to do. Likewise, as I've shared before, it's always brought, uh, or it has brought me the greatest heartaches. But I know that for many years, my house was not built upon the Lord. By the world's eye and even comparing us to most of our friends. And, and don't we do that? We, it's easy to look around us. My co-workers, all my softball buddies. Thankfully, God's given me enough wisdom to know I can't play. I'm not even tempted to try with the church's team. But years and years and years, Jackie was a softball widow. And uh, thank you, dear. But, you know, when we look around and start comparing ourselves to our friends, a lot of times we look pretty good. Say, man, I'm not, I'm not that guy. I'm not, I'm not the guy that curses at my children every time they turn around. I'm not the guy who's constantly got a beer in hand or, or alcohol or maybe doing something worse. You know, we look good. But held up to what? In the eyes of God and to the Word of God and to this book and what God directs us and wants us to be, we fell way short. I fell way short. God does have a plan for families. In reality, what looked great from the outside was just as Jesus taught in Matthew 7. Take a look with me at Matthew 7, verse 26. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine 
and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. If this is where you're at today, it doesn't have to be that way. Today could be the first day of your rebuild, of your home, of the spiritual home, of your marriage, of your relationship, of parenting, whatever needs to be rebuilt. This could be that day. The goal is to be likened unto the wise man of verse 24 in Matthew 7. It says, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house on a rock. Today I urge you, lay that first stone of the new foundation. You know, perhaps it's just that the foundation is solid, but maybe there's some cracks starting to show through. Anyone else tired as we get older other than me? You know, as your body tells you one thing and your mind is telling you another and your wife is telling you even something else? And it's like, Lord, I just want to be, can I just rest? Could I just rest today? Could I take off? How, how about sending my family on at that vacation? And let me just have some me time. Whatever it is we need, today can be that day. Today we can, maybe we don't need a new creature, we just need, you know, a little bit of an overhaul, a tune-up. Declare it today. I urge you today to lay that first stone. Today, declare to yourself, to your spouse, to your children or grandchildren. Most of all to God, as Joshua declared in the last half of verse 15 and in chapter 24 and Probably most of you could quote it. When Joshua said, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Let that be our battle cry as we leave this place, as we go forward, that we will serve the Lord in all that we do and say. And I'm sure God will bless you for it. This is not the end of the story. Regardless of how dark Things maybe is. And I know you're, you're here today, and, and praise God you're here. It's, it's really probably the ones that aren't here that need to hear this the most. I get that. But let us be encouraged and take, take away, as you know, God declared unto Joshua, Joshua, I'm going to magnify you to be that leader, that he will magnify you now. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.